0: Nestled in the woods of a small town in Massachusetts lay Walden Pond, where Henry David Thoreau undertook the most famous experiment in simple living in American history. Thoreau believed that the only way to find meaning and lead a purposeful life was to renounce the rigors of society. So in 1845, he built a tiny 10-foot by 15-foot cabin in a secluded spot near Walden Pond. His experiment was a meditation on the virtues of nature, spirituality, and solitude. I find it wholesome to be alone the greater part of the time. To be in company, even with the best, is soon wearisome and dissipating. I love to be alone. I never found the companion that was so companionable as solitude. For exactly two years, two months... In two days, Thoreau immersed himself in nature and logged his observations. During most of this time, he was alone. And for Thoreau, solitude was the key to unlocking a higher consciousness. After returning to society in 1847, he eventually published Walden, a memoir of his extended retreat in the woods and one of the most celebrated books in American literature.
1: He valued solitude, and he found that he needed some every day. And if he didn't get it, he got pretty testy and unpleasant to be around. That scholar Laura Dessau-Walls. She says that Thoreau saw
0: solitude as a creative space for writing and reflection, as well as a means to live the best life.
1: The difference is that he also needed to be around people. So, there's a little back and forth going on here. I wouldn't say entirely bipolar, but, you know, he was a surprisingly warm and loving and and sensitive person, which is probably part of the problem, is that when he was hurt, he would get very prickly and Mm -hmm. withdraw. And he found it exhausting to be around people, and he was terrible at small talk. In other words, he's the classic introvert. And so, Thoreau turned that need for solitude into a kind of... A creative resource. Well, he was pretty much beloved by a lot of people, even though they recognized he was something
0: of an odd duck. It's not that he was shunned. He wasn't in solitude right. because he was rejected, right? This is right. What he
1: chose. <laughs> yeah, he, he was definitely somebody who um, people identified from early on as different. Uh, later on, they would have said might have said eccentric. Mm-hmm. I either I think people were either attracted to him and found him um, lovable and and really engaging to be around, and he was always interesting. Clearly, and other people just couldn't tolerate him, and it became very mutual. So he it was a sort of self selecting process, and you right. even see that in responses to his writing when his books went out. And Walden, for instance, uh, most reviews were just ecstatic or at least very positive, but every now and mm-hmm. then there would be one very huffy kind of, who does he think he is? It's odd about solitary people, especially when it's out there as a kind of creative, um, you know, almost a, a kind of brand, because right. they're a bit threatening. They can, in a sense, be criticizing society or criticizing you as part of society, and some people share that and says, yeah, me too, and other people are like, hey, you're rejecting everything I care about. And so um, that kind of divisiveness um, sort of surrounds him too.
0: So you mentioned Walden, which is the way that most people know about Thoreau being alone.
1: Uh, how alone was he at Walden? Well, he was alone. It sounds like I'm trying to be funny. I'm not. He was alone when nobody else was there. So, <laughs> <laughs> which was a fair amount of the time. He's out there on the edge of town. There weren't any houses anywhere around him, not inhabited houses. He was a little off the main road and across the pond from the railroad, which means there were people always just a few hundred yards away. But, uh, you know, Walden Pond was the place that people went for picnics and to fish and to swim, uh, which means daytime activities. And uh, there he was all day and all night too. So... Once the sun went down, he was totally alone, and uh, he really valued that. So one of the points is that he was there 24 hours a day, which means that most of those hours he was alone. But then in the daylight hours, especially on weekends, eh, people visited him all the time. And, Hmm. well, he had a system. If he was happy to have company, he would put a chair out in front of his door. And if the chair wasn't there, it meant either I'm not here, I'm out on a walk, or... I am busy, and so respect that. And people did. So the chair was visible from the road, so people knew (laughs) uh, whether or not Henry was sort of entertaining company. And uh, I get the sense from accounts of conversations with him that it was kind of a back porch, cracker barrel, philosophizing time. It must have been kind of fun. Or he'd be hoeing his beans and people would holler at him from the road. So there you get this rhythm of people going either to entertain themselves or because they were genuinely friends and wanted to visit, or the alone time, the solitary dawn, the morning hours, the times before people were in that social mode when Thoreau was completely in his own world. Some people have
0: pointed to the proximity of the railroad and of of Concord itself as evidence of Thoreau's hypocrisy—that uh, he's talking as if he's out on the, the wilderness, and instead he's—you know—he could walk to somebody's house for a meal yeah. <laughs> at any point. So, how do we think about that? Is—is this—is it theater? Is it sort of imagined solitude is more important than the actual physical solitude? Help us understand that.
1: Well, first of all, when he went to Walden, he'd been dreaming of doing this ever since probably childhood. It goes Mm -hmm. all the way back to a memory when he was about five years old. So what he imagined was solitude, and that was the dream. So he tried various ways of doing this. And none of them brought that kind of experience. He, 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 to him, it would be a creative kind of retreat. He wanted to write, he wanted to write poetry, and he wanted to have this deep encounter with nature, not not to be socializing, but to really try to go one-on-one with, with what really was a spiritual quest, a kind mm-hmm. of godhead. And so, the chance opened up. Emerson happened to be on a walk at Walden Pond, he happened to be there at a time when a group of speculators were bidding on this piece of property and he happened to feel in a good mood and he happened to have money at that moment and he said, I'll buy it. And that was the land. So he comes back into town and tells Henry and very quickly the 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 deal is made that this is where Henry will finally have the chance to realize this long-held dream. So Henry builds on Emerson's land, and he thinks of himself as almost like he's going to be high up in the mountains. Well, he's not. I mean, he's right there on the edge of town, and, <laughs> yeah, and right. you know, the railroad's there, so the railroad workers come by and say, hey, what are you doing? And people come by, and, and you know, they can see the house. Why are you building this house way out here? And this is the turn that's fascinating, because he could have said, go away, I don't want to talk to you. He doesn't. He starts talking with them. He, when they ask him, what is he doing? He tells them. Hmm. He's a born teacher. He gets engaged by this process of trying to sort of open up his heart to, to what he thinks is important.
0: Right. So,
1: it's almost a process of, of conversion or, or making disciples. And right, so, right. on the one hand, he still cherishes this dream of solitude and and intense spiritual elevation in what really does sound a lot like the the kind of classic hermit retreat. On the other hand, circumstances have drawn him into this other mode. And, of course, the, the third element to this is, look, he's got responsibilities. He's moved about a mile away from his family, but he's still the eldest son. He still has to go back and take care of family chores, they want to have him around for Sunday dinner. <laughs> uh, he has to uh, make a few dollars, so he has to go do his laboring. So he's in town um, every two or three days to take care of this or that piece of business. And so that just isn't part of Walden, right? Who wants to read about that? That's just ordinary stuff. Right. So he doesn't really tell us in Walden, except there's a couple places where he says, well, sure. Um, But that doesn't change the basic point that he's trying to make. Yeah, and what I hear you saying is that Walden is authentically about solitude, but it's not really about isolation. That's a good way to put it. And what's interesting about exactly that is once his experiment at Walden is done, and it was always an experiment, it was always going to be temporary. So once it's over, he's back in town. He lives at the Emerson's, then he goes back and lives... With his own family, big households, lots of people. But what he brings with him is a kind of ethic of periodic solitude. Of again, solitude is a kind of creative space or resource um, that really he thinks that old people could use. And the trick is, can you do that on Main Street? I mean, if it's really real, right? You shouldn't have to artificially remove yourself from right, society. Right. Right. create some kind of false bubble. You should be able to bring it with you back to the streets of New York or wherever you are. And and so, in, in that sense, it's something you carry with you. It's an mm-hmm. ethic for living, not for retreating from life. So, today, people seek solitude from the digital world, in which we seem
0: so mm-hmm. immersed. Any speculation on advice that we might
1: get from Henry David Thoreau in in (laughs) our time? That's an easy one. Put down the damn phone. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, he would find this an assault, a 24-7 unrelenting assault on everything that solitude makes possible. So the sense that you would never touch technology. No, I mean, he was fascinated by technology, but his demand was that you understand it, and that you make sure that you use it, that it doesn't use you.
0: Right, right.
1: So his famous line about, we do not ride on the railroad, it rides upon us. That was his beef with the railroad, not that it existed. Yes, it existed, and he was fascinated by it, and he rode the railroad himself, um, appreciated what it brought. But he drew the line when he thought that it was, as with all technologies, turning and controlling those of us who think that we're using it, but in fact, we're becoming cogs in its big mechanism. So, if you can use your cell phone in such a way that you can put it down, walk away from it, uh, and then take it up later on only when you're ready for it, then great, but he worries and would worry that today that's not what is happening, that people are controlled by it and They're engineered, these devices, to make us need them, and that would make him very suspicious. He would think we were slaves to it.
0: Laura DeSalle walls is the William P. and Hazel B. White professor of English at the University of Notre Dame. She's the author of Henry David Thoreau, A Life.